The no, shoe fits, right? And honestly, I think you can just hint at that without just stating it explicitly. Someday, if we ever get huge and we do live shows, we're fucked. Asshole Court is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time, especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. It's no secret that rock stars and famous musicians live wild lives. Party like a rock star, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know the story. And it's totally true. It isn't just an exaggeration. In fact, a study conducted by the Center for Public Health in Liverpool found that the wild lifestyles of famous musicians resulted in an average life expectancy of a mere 45 years. But like everything else, there are levels to the game when it comes to wild rock and roll lifestyles. You've got legends like Ozzy Osbourne and John Bonham and Keith Moon, of course. Everybody knows that those guys were party all-stars. But the subject of today's show really does deserve to be discussed more when it comes to the subject of indulgent debauchery. I'm talking about the king of punk funk himself, Rick James, bitch. Rick James had a career in three parts. First is a legitimate pop funk icon. Second is that dude who made the beat for MC Hammer's You Can't Touch This. And third is the guy that infamously battled with Charlie Murphy in the early 80s, portrayed brilliantly in the legendary Chappelle Show sketch. That sketch hinted at the wildlife of Rick James, of course, but let me tell you, it barely scratched the surface. We're going to cover the rest today, so pull out your shiny red leather suit and platform boots, tune up your funk bass, and get that three-inch coke nail ready for action, because this is going to be one super freaky ride. This is Rick James. This is Asshole Court. Alright, real quickly, before we start the show, uh, we wanted to give a shout out to, we believe it's Geb650, or Jeb650? Yeah, G-E-B-650. Geb650? Yeah, somebody on Instagram. Yeah, but uh, they gave us the uh, request out for uh, Rick James, so we wanted to uh, give a little head nod out. We picked your person today, so um, yeah, yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate it, dude. Attaboy, Geb. Yeah. Alright guys, well, let's go ahead and get started with prelim scores on motherfucking Rick James. Randy, what you got? All right. So, like you alluded to in the intro, man, the Chappelle Show skit of Rick James really brought this dude back into, I guess, pop culture, right? Of course. Um, we, I mean, when the Chappelle Show was in its prime, I mean, we would gather around in the TV and fucking tune in. That was sure. must-see TV. Absolutely. And when they did the Rick James shit, it's it's it kind of educated me a little bit because I didn't know this dude was on that kind of level. Right. You right. You know what I mean? Like on a Stevie Wonder level, like just top of the game. Well, not necessarily just Stevie crazy Wonder. as fuck. Well, crazy as back fuck. then, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm talking about like rubbing your feet on the couch and fucking like yeah. not giving a fuck and all that shit. And it was crazy because the stuff you talked about in the intro read about like 
hardcore party all-stars, right? You talk about that rock star living life. You don't really associate Rick James with that until Chappelle's show comes True. along, right? True. At so, least out of our generation, for no, the yeah, most yeah, part. Yeah. Right, right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. If you're he was just the guy old, that was just like, oh, he did the beat for You Can't Touch This. That's right. Which yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. And yeah well, super freak. And being a, a giant Seinfeld fan, they once canceled uh, Rick James from the assembly that Jerry was going to speak at for two hours to, uh, yeah, in, in one of the episodes. So there's that little Seinfeld ditty for this episode. But let's go pre-show. So a little bit what I know about Rick James. I'm going to put it at a 6.92. And you're asking, Randy, why the hell is he at 6.92? It matches Axl Rose. Okay. Right? So I envision oh, nice. like an Axl Rose, like Rick James, knowing just the little surface level shit that I do know about him. Probably right on course with Axel. So mm-hmm. six point nine two pre show. All right, buddy, buddy, what you got? All right. So for me, um, you know, growing up, I didn't really know about Rick James. For me to get my introduction into him, it's like Mikey mentioned in the uh, intro. You know, like I was an MC Hammer fan, and you know, you can't touch this. Mm-hmm. And then I heard Super Freak, and I'm like, who the fuck is biting MC Hammer on this <laughs> shit? You know, like dad, 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 dad. Yeah. And he's like, oh, son, I, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, I remember specifically my dad telling me, he's like, that is a Rick James song. I was like, absolutely wrong. Who the, fu- <laughs> who the fuck is yeah. Rick James? Shut up, old man. Dude, I had a problem with fucking You Can't Touch This from when it came out. I'll never forget this. My sister and I were with our family in Washington, D.C. at my cousin's house, and he had cable. We didn't have cable growing up. And they were doing the Video of the Year awards, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we loved fucking MC Hammer. Like, of course. As kids, that was the deal. Oh, yeah, the Hammer and pants doing the and everything. Right? And uh, it was like 1991, and, or 1992, I believe, when they did the show. But it was the top videos from 91. And number two came up. And we're like, all right, number one next is definitely going to be You Can't Touch This. And all of a sudden, it came on. And we're like, huh. Huh. Remember the number one video from 91? No, it smells like Teen Spirit. That's exactly right. Oh, wow. And, yep. I mean, we were like 10, 11 years old. My oh, sister yeah. was 14. We were new kids on the block, Janet Jackson. Sure. Whatever she liked, I liked. Right? Yeah, of so course. I'm not going to, like, put myself in a fucking new kids on the block <laughs> fan camp. But, uh, yeah, that came on everyone. Like, what the fuck is this? But uh turns out I want to be in a huge Nirvana fan. So sure. I hate to cut you off, buddy. I'm sorry about that. But that was my fucking you can't touch this story is... Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to yeah. talk about this a good bit here with the You Can't Touch This, because that was a pretty big part of the story. Yeah, of course. So, um, you know, that was my introduction into Rick James right there. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, of course, you know, like I've listened to his music. I mean, he's got some great songs, uh, you know, Super Freak, Mary Jane. I mean, the list goes on and on. But, you know, I I really didn't know about him or any of his shenanigans prior to The Chappelle Show and all of my knowledge comes from the Chappelle show mm-hmm. and so i've got and a, movies and yeah i haven't seen too many movies you know no, i'm just saying in general a lot of your uh your You're research blockbuster. yeah You're i'm blockbuster, blockbuster university yeah, over exactly. here blockbuster buddy you know so <laughs> yeah so i've got a side with charlie murphy on this and i'm gonna at least for my pre-show i'm gonna go with what charlie murphy would say and charlie murphy calls this guy a habitual line stepper and I still say that, like, in my like, line, <laughs> legendary line, you know, so because uh, you could tell he came up with like off the cuff. He was like, man. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, a habitual line. Stepper. <laughs> Great line. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I'm going to side with Charlie Murphy and I'm going to give him a six point five out the gates okay. and uh, we'll see where he ends up by the end of the show. OK. Excellent. All right, Mikey, what you got? All right. Uh, so I wanted to do this show. So I knew a little bit about his background. I didn't know a lot about it. I did know some of the other stuff that we'll get into, so I'm going to score them a little bit higher. 
So uh, just to make it uh, real quick, I'll give him a seven to start out with. All right. With a 6.92 from Randy, a 6.5 from Buddy, and a 7.0 from Mikey, Rick James' pre-show asshole score is a 6.8. 6.8. All right. That's going to put Rick James' pre-show between Anton LaVey and Chevy Chase. Both wound up being 6.66. Yep. Identical people. And Cardi B. Ooh, so, and Mama June, too. Yeah. Right in that right same in that, little wheelhouse yeah. there. So. All right. Sweet. All right. Y'all ready to funk out? Cocaine's a hell of a drug. That's right. Let's do it. James Ambrose Johnson Jr. was born on February 1st, 1948 in Buffalo, New York to Mabel and James Ambrose Johnson Sr., obviously. Uh, yeah, another one of our show subjects who isn't famous for their real name. I was about to say, where did Rick come from? Yeah, well, we're going to get into that. All right. All right. He was one of eight children, and uh, James' father was an auto worker, but he left the family when James was 10. So again, another one of our show subjects who didn't have a father around. Absentee father. Yeah. Uh-oh, this is starting off like DMX. Uh, like, how many of our shows do we have absentee Think fathers? about mom's situation there. What, eight kids and dad leaves? Oh. Jesus Christ. Like, seriously, yeah. think about how that fucking house was. Yeah, certainly, man. Brutal. And, but, I mean, it's it's a bummer that his dad leaves, but don't worry, because Rick remembered his father as being an abusive piece of shit, so, you know, silver lining and all. Yeah, I mean. Anyway, for a while, James' mother was a dancer for Catherine Dunham, who was apparently a super famous dancing lady in the middle of the 20th century often referred to as the matriarch and queen mother of black dance. And honestly, I got so interested in the queen mother of black dance that I decided to do this entire show about her instead. Nice. All right, but, let's hear about the queen of black dance. Well, yeah, because Afro-Cuban dancing is one of the most important driving factors in mid-century Americana, and I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I mean, no way is Catherine Dunham's story as interesting as Rick James, and I say that as someone who spent uh, time reading the first paragraph on Catherine Dunham's Wikipedia page <laughs> and then immediately closed it. Sorry, professional dancing fans, I just don't give a shit about it. Uh, just like Dancing with the Stars, don't give a fuck about that show, right? You can oh, throw the, not at you all. You can throw the biggest names in the world on that show. If Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos were to fucking be on Dancing with the Stars, yeah. I still wouldn't watch it. I'd still be watching Below Deck Med uh, on <laughs> fucking Bravo yes. instead of Dancing with the Stars. So. Yeah, like yeah. Tila Tequila. I, I mean, whoever, yeah. Yeah, the only time I ever think about dancing is when I've had way too much to drink and shouldn't do it. You're a pretty good dancer, though, Mike. I appreciate that. that. Yeah. And I, honestly, Buddy is a decent dancer. Buddy no, didn't. not at all. I mean, back in the day when you were fairly nimble and quick on your feet, uh, well, you know, I'll give you that. I'll give you well, your, thank you, your Randy. dancing skills. You thank did you. start dancing in a Hardee's one time. Um, yeah, I did. Starburger. Yeah. yeah. Starburger. It was there. Trouble is, after James Sr. decided to head out for SIGs and never came back home again, well, being a professional dancer doesn't tend to create enough income to pay for eight fucking kids. So Mabel found another gig. Apparently. Well, unless you're nasty dancing, dancing nasty for money. Dance. That's true. Dancing She'll do for money. what she wants me That's to true. do. Do what I want to do. But Mabel wasn't doing that. All right. <laughs> See, although Mabel was apparently a devout Catholic, she was also a practical woman. And making a living that would support eight kids is tough no matter what. But as a black woman in the 1950s, well, that's like beating fucking Battletoads set on extra hard. <laughs> no joke. I mean, Seriously. talk about a deck stacked against you yeah, at that geez. point. And the type of job that pays well enough isn't always legal. No, Mabel didn't hoe herself out. Uh-huh. She went way more gangster. She allegedly ran numbers for the Italian mafia. We've actually talked a number of times about running numbers. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in the John Gotti show, very early on, that was like our second show, I think. 
we did was yeah, John Gotti. Third, yeah, yeah. yeah. John yeah, Gotti. John Gotti started out as a number runner. Yeah, for the mob. That's how we got. It's a very common thing, especially back then, because you don't have all these gambling websites. Right. You just had a guy. It was literally, and think about like a literal local lottery. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. It was like a local lottery yeah. run undercover or yeah. under false, you know, not false pretenses, but under the table. Under the table. And, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's the trifecta of organized crime back then was prostitution, gambling, which included numbers running, and then bootlegging. Yeah. So NASCAR started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like I said, she, yeah, she's running numbers for the Italian mafia. And things being what they were, sometimes she incorporated her kids into the workday. James remembers, quote, crying and carrying numbers books in big shopping bags for his mother during the winter. So James' early life sounds interesting, like rough, but interesting. Uh, yeah. But don't, Straight to the streets almost, yeah. having to, you know, probably skip out on school and provide for the family. Exactly. But don't feel too bad for the little funkmeister because his mom has basically said that Rick was, quote, the most trouble of all of her eight children. He did things like fill the family's bathtub with stray dogs, which is fairly innocuous, I suppose. He also dumped itching powder down his baby sister's back, which is worse for sure. I mean, it's a baby. Itching powder is an old joke, but honestly, like a fucking baby, Rick, a baby? He also lodged a pearl in his brother's ear, which is admittedly a total dumbass kid thing. <laughs> My fucking sister got a bean stuck in her nose when she was a kid. Everybody has these types of stories. Crayon for my sister. Yeah, everybody's got yeah. something jammed in your ass or some shit. It let's was go, her nose. But uh, yeah. <laughs> let's go back to the itching powder. Oh, yeah. I'm going to. Yeah, yeah. Why yeah. in God's name do they even have that? Because it's like, supposed to be a funny prank, but it's not. Yeah. Whoopee cushions, itching powder. Fart spray. All right. That makes a little more sense versus just fucking... It, it had a secondary use is what I, would, oh, I was yeah. thinking initially, but no, nah, it's just to was, fuck somebody up. Yeah, yeah that's right. true. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And little Rick, at the ripe old age of 13, would steal cars to cruise in and blow off steam. So, you know, a little Grand Theft Auto to unwind after a long day of pouring fiberglass shavings on a baby. Pretty standard <laughs> stuff. Isn't that everybody's childhood? Of course, man. My mom had her car stolen twice, actually, out of the same parking lot. She was a teacher, and uh, the ki- and it was a pure kids busted the window, took the car, and took it for a joyride. Rear-ended somebody about a mile down the street, all jumped out and ran off. But I, I, I have a hard time understanding like the logic behind, if I'm going to steal a fucking car and go down for that, I'm at least going to try to make some money, right? Well, that's what happened shop. to us. My car got stolen twice out of my old parking lot, and both times we found it in the movie theater parking lot with the radio ripped out. So. People still do that? Yeah. Is it people, yeah. Is it, yes, people still steal car radios. Yeah, if you've got a Honda Civic hatchback. The that, only that way I would ever, only way I'd ever consider stealing a car is if I had a chop shop that was ready to fucking That's rock and right. roll. Dude. That's exactly right. Gone in 60 seconds yeah. style. Sure, but like to just joyride, you're like, dude, well, obviously you're a fucking moron. And people right. that do this are not like high level criminals. They're not white collar criminals. They're like, I just felt like driving around in somebody else's car. Hold on. So what you're telling me is that Rick James probably wasn't a child genius? It doesn't seem that way. Oh, okay. Yeah. He might have tested as a genius, so. Probably, yeah. <laughs> like every other subject <laughs> yeah, on our show ever has. No, thankfully, we will be spared from the high IQ story here with Rick James. <laughs> Thank God. Because uh, you say whatever you want about Rick James, but he was never like, I'm a genius. He was just like, I like to fuck and I like partying and that's what I do. <laughs> So it appears that little Rick was into some really adult shit at a very young age. And I'm not just talking about stealing cars. Little Rick James was, by all accounts, himself a super freak from a very young age. He would claim later in his autobiography, Glow, 
that he lost his virginity at nine or ten to a girl that was fourteen. Wow. So he was nine years old? <laughs> yeah. Banging a fourteen year old? Man, well, I mean, that's a that's a pretty big jump up right well, there. That and like when I was nine, I don't think I even thought about fucking I can't really remember what my thought process was at nine. I mean, you gotta be I mean I, I remember knowing like, that I liked girls and like I liked for some reason I I very vividly remember like putting paper clips in the JC Penny catalog and the bra and panty section, and that's how I got busted. <laughs> I've told the story about taping the JC Penny bra pictures on my wall oh, with yeah. tape. Yeah. yeah. It was a real thing. It was a phenomenon. It was the only way that you were seeing ass and titties in the late eighties. Like was but for us was that the JC Penny catalog would come in and I remember sitting, I'd be like, Hey, I'm gonna just go down and read. And then like my mom was like, That's cool. And then my dad came downstairs and I was mid bra and panty section didn't even really know why uh-huh. i had no clue i just was like i really this like is this awesome like and this. The, the, <laughs> the conversation was so uncomfortable i to this day i feel bad for my father because he was like he went upstairs and my mom was like you have to go have this talk with him so he comes back down and he's like is there anything you want to talk about and i was like i don't think so i like no. these girls boobs. no i didn't even get it he he didn't have the 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 wherewithal he, to the understand sack. yeah he didn't, no no he just didn't he didn't want to uh, directly address sex so he obliquely was like you want to talk about something and i was like no i'm good cool see ya so yeah stealing cars and fucking and we're not even halfway through his teen years yet at this point in my research i was realizing that this show subject was mm, what's the word good (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna be a good show boys good show johnson and let me pause here to say that i don't know how much of the rick james story is true and how much is bullshit and how much is legend but i'm gonna say that i feel like a lot of it is plausible and i don't really want to spend a lot of energy trying to to like debunk it because it's just great yeah why (laughs) so of course living a life full of drug use and crime means that young rick often finds himself on the wrong side of the law He catches a burglary charge. No big surprise there. He's stealing fucking cars, right? But at a certain point, Rick starts to realize that he's facing two big problems. First, he knew that if he stuck around town doing drugs and stealing cars and fucking and pouring itching powder on babies, well, (laughs) he'd likely end up in more trouble. And second, being the geopolitical wonk that he was at the age of 15, Rick knew that he was likely to get swept up in the Vietnam draft at some point. So to get out ahead of both issues, he just, shit his pants and stayed in them for two weeks. <laughs> no, it's it's a it's a little bit less <laughs> embarrassing than that. <laughs> Ted Nugent story. Huh. Yeah, no, yeah. no, he's much more uh, not shitty. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, we talk about less fecal earlier. You were talking about he goes, he does it to blow off some steam. The dude's like thirteen. Yeah, I just imagine like a, a thirteen-year-old. Ah, just got off work. You don't have a job. You just got done. Running numbers or whatever the fuck you were doing, mm. and think about that feeling when you get we off. Did have a job, right? Yeah. Well, when you get off work, I remember like having a job in a restaurant, right? Sure. You get off, first thing you do is like, I want to fucking drink and a smoke, right? Like, sure. He he gets done running numbers. I gotta fucking go fucking steal a car. Steal a car. Just, God, I just gotta ride around. I just want to feel the wind through my hair. <laughs> I gotta bang a chick and steal a car. That's it. Like, yeah, it's not it's not a normal lifestyle at all, yeah, especially at what thirteen years old. Thirteen. Yeah, but yeah, it just keeps so getting much. weirder. I'm telling you, man. So, like, to get out ahead of both issues of him being in trouble all the time and potentially uh, getting drafted for Vietnam, a 15-year-old Rick James lies about his age and enters the United States Naval Reserve. At least that's the story he told. And uh, one that I do think is a load of bullshit. Because 
Something tells me that Rick James isn't exactly a geopolitically engaged dude who sees the disaster that is the Vietnam War before most people do, especially at the age of 15. While Saw he's it coming. Cars. Yeah. Saw it coming. The whole thing. Had to get ahead of the curve. Exactly. When but if, if Weren't you in the reserves? You had a higher chance of going, right? No, 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 no. If you, I mean, if you get out, well, first of all, you don't want to be in the Army. You don't want to be in the Marines. You want to go Navy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you want to go reserve because reserve is really like they'll call you in. But at the time, too, the reserve gets used a lot more now. But back then, you had the draft. So if you're on reserves, then it's like last ditch. Like, oh, shit, we've got to send reserve people over there. So it's like he signed up for the war, but at the back of the line. Yeah, it's sort of like what George W. Bush did when he signed up for the Air National Guard. Uh, okay. He was like, I know I'm going to go, but if I'm going to go, I'm going to do Air National Guard, which means he's going to fly planes around Texas. Yeah. You know. Guarding the nation. Yeah. Which, I, honestly, like I said, I don't fault anybody for trying to dodge that fucking right. war. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I just don't think Rick James is really thinking about the Vietnam <laughs> War. I think, again, this is another post-facto like rationalization. Hands up. Give me all your money. Well, enough money for a cheeseburger from the value menu, at least. We are now live on Patreon. Find us there at patreon.com slash ahcpodcast to get all the latest episodes of Conspiracy Court, ad-free shows, shout-outs, stickers, and a whole lot more. It would be a crime if you didn't. Big thanks to all our fans, and we appreciate all your support. Let's dive back into the action. Yeah, so like I said, that's, it's... Whatever. I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time splitting hairs on this guy, but whatever. And besides, it'd be a waste of time to discuss Rick James' alleged prognostication of the Vietnam fiasco when it would be much more fun to talk about how fucking crazy it is that he was allowed to lie and enlist at the age of 15. I, well, mean, I mean, like back then, my dad, when he went up to get his driver's license mm-hmm. at 16, he just wrote that he was 18 on there. He wrote him. He wrote it in that he was two years younger and they processed him as a state-issued id I, dude I'm, older at 16 for 18 he could buy alcohol like uh, with a state-issued id just, it's so crazy that was just like literally our parents lifetime but i'm just like sitting here i'm like it's not in my mind i'm thinking i'm like it's not like some fucking kid entering the civil war in 1861 right or some shit when like school and childhood was just some vague concept but then like a 10 year old is like the equivalent of like a 25 year old is now uh, we're talking about Rick James enlisting in the Navy as a 15-year-old in the 1960s, which is like 50 years ago. Yeah. Do you guys remember me uh, falsifying a document to become 21 earlier than I was? Uh, yeah, we all did of that. Of course. Do you remember what, what I had? I had the real deal. Wait, I know. I, Are you I, talking I, about your fake ID? No, this wasn't fake. I took my real driver's license. My birthday is in November. I took an X-Acto knife. shit. Took an X-Acto knife. Scraped the one off of eleven to make it January. Oh Jesus! Oh, yeah. And for ten months, boy, I was twenty-one years old. Yeah. Until we got caught drinking in the woods by a bunch of game wardens, <laughs> and they ran my fucking shit. And they're like, "Who here's twenty-one?" And everybody was underage except me and one other dude. Well, I was underage except one other dude. And that and, guy was really fucked. Oh, he was pissed. But uh, yeah, they're like, is there something you want to tell us? I was like, uh, uh-uh. uh. They're like, are you sure? I was like, yeah, yeah. Actually, there is something I want to tell you. Yeah. So yeah, I had the real, the real deal until actually law enforcement got involved and you know, yeah, things I, didn't go yeah, well. Fake IDs were. I had one. I got busted multiple times. Most of the time, people were cool about it. I got caught at a liquor store one time. They're like, "This isn't you." And well, I was when you like, look, you looked like fourteen did, years old. It's you, true, you're it's a young true. looking dude compared well, at, to your age. This one liquor store, though, they were like, "This isn't you." And I was like, "All right, you got me." I was like, "Go ahead and give it back to me." And they're like, "No." And yeah. I was like, "No, you're gonna give that back to me." You're like, 
like now, dude. And then I pulled a gun out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Anyways, yeah. So Rick James goes into the fucking naval reserves at 15. And like I said, it's just, it's crazy to me that that's okay. And I'm also thinking like that, like the Navy that wouldn't take poor pre-Navy tattooed Clyde Barrow totally decided it was okay to take a 15 year old drug using car stealing sex machine that was Rick James. <laughs> well, you know, 20 years changes a lot. Bodies so, are bodies. Yeah. yeah, I guess. So. Well, I mean, Clyde Barrow had a willing body. This is true. <laughs> he wanted it. The whole world would be different if he had gotten in the Navy. Jay-Z would have fewer less hits. That's true. Yeah. Potentially. Which would be great because that's the worst Jay-Z song we've discussed. <laughs> Me and my girlfriend. <laughs> no, that's uh that Tupac. was Tupac. No. That was Tupac. That that one you just sang was yeah. <laughs> All I need in this life is it. Me and my girlfriend. Well, how I love you, finger how? fucking you. All of a sudden I'm hearing <laughs> thunder when I'm busting nuts. <laughs> 96, Bonnie and Clyde, we on a ride. You're right, yeah, that yeah, is Tupac. Tupac. <laughs> yeah, right. <sorry. laughs> Oh, man. But whatever. Uh, he lucks out as a reservist and has the luxury of being a government employee, avoiding the draft and giving him some spare time to play as a drummer with some local New York City jazz bands. Win, 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 right across the boards. And as a reservist sailor, James discovers that the Navy life actually suits him and he begins planning for a leap to officer candidate school and a long naval career. Of course, that isn't true. I'm totally joking because remember, we're talking about a dude who used to steal cars and joyride to blow off steam as a 12-year-old. <laughs> In fact, it's the exact opposite. Rick James is a horrible sailor. He said he hated the regimentation and conformity, and he manages to miss two deployments, which is the actual definition of going AWOL. So young Rick finds himself in a world of hurt with the Navy. They're pissed and decide that the best punishment is to switch him to active duty and ship his ass off to Vietnam at 16 years old, mind you. No oh, shit. God. Wow. Unsurprisingly, Rick ain't about that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Let me guess. He didn't show up. So he deserts the Navy and he runs to Toronto. There we are. Yeah. He figures that he'll make some cash as a musician and scrape by as long as he needs to to avoid Vietnam. And it's outside a nightclub in Toronto that Rick's luck begins to improve. It all starts when he catches an ass whooping from three rando drunk dudes, which admittedly doesn't sound positive. But the good news for Rick is that three other dudes come to his aid and fend off the drunken Canucks hellbent on beating some Rick James ass. Now, that seems pretty, uh, pretty wild off. for Canadians. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That doesn't seem like what I know of our neighbors to the north. Those guys, have you ever seen hockey fights? I yeah, have. but they get into the, it, that's, you know. I always thought they were super friendly and uh, weren't very confrontational. I was in Toronto a couple years ago. Dope fucking city. Fucking mm -hmm. love my time there. I, granted, I was there for two days and mm -hmm. saw the CN Tower and all the touristy shit. But uh, I mean, honestly, it was it was cool. Driving through Canada was was really nice. Yeah. Let's be honest. Canadians can fight too. They're, 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 well, they can not, fight, but they're uh, they can. But I've never. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's wrong to generalize that all of them aren't aggressive. Yeah, I hear you on I'm that. I'm telling you, hockey fights are some of the realest fights you'll see in sports, and uh, Canadians rule at hockey. Yeah, they yeah, do. That's true, they yeah. do. So, anyways, the two dudes that come to the aid of Rick James are none other than Levon Helm and Garth Hudson, two of the principal members from the band. And if you're not familiar with the band, you definitely are familiar with their most famous song, The Weight. The song that goes, pulled into Nazareth, was feeling about half past dead. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Okay. It had a number of great songs. The band's actually a really good band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're rocking with my head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Levon fucking Helm, who also, which is funny, is that their other huge song was The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down, which is a song that's like commemorating the Confederacy lost battle. Nice. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, but it's actually, like, look, first of all, those dudes were like from New York and shit. It wasn't like a racist song at all, but it's just funny that those dudes are who's coming to, to aid Rick James in a fight. <laughs> Every time I hear Levon, I just think of Elton James. Elton John? <laughs> <laughs> Elton, Elton El, James. Elton Rick James. Oh, you Christ. Know. Better leave home. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, Rick manages to become friends with them afterward and is shortly introduced to other young musicians like Joni Mitchell and Neil Young. No oh, shit. wow. Yeah. Right. Which is a pretty weird musical crew to be associated with Rick James, to be honest. Like this that's is true. This is where I was like, what the fuck, man? man like I knew the shit from the funk shit. That's a motley crew right there. It certainly is, dude. But they legit liked Rick a lot and they thought he was like a talented dude. Rick eventually joins a band with Neil Young and Bruce Palmer, who is from Buffalo Springfield, called the Mina Birds. And this band was pretty promising. They even got signed to Motown Records. This is like 1966, right? Oh, wow. In fact, it's an interaction with a Motown star that James Ambrose Johnson Jr. officially becomes Rick James. See, the Mina Birds perform for Motown star Stevie Wonder, and Stevie is legitimately impressed. Stevie asks for Ambrose's name and... He quickly responds with one of his aliases, Ricky James Matthews. Stevie, who, as you may recall from our first Conspiracy Court episode, himself operated under a pseudonym, told him to shorten it to just Rick James. And so he did. Stevie Wonder gave Rick James his name. Yep. You have a first here, folks. Yeah. Nice. We all learn together on a weekly basis. That's right. That is absolutely something I did not know. I'm telling you. That's actually really cool. Yeah. 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 Nice little tidbit right there. And it's also he was like Rick. I see your name in lights, and it's uh, it's got to be shortened up. He's like, you ain't blind. <laughs> I was taking a picture of it outside, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's also around this time that Rick runs into another interesting character. One night while crashing at Stephen Stills' house, who this is Stephen Stills of Crosby, Stills and Nash. I was about to ask, okay. yeah, is that Crosby, yeah. Stills, Nash? Yeah. Wow, this dude's like, he's hitting it. He hit it big quick it sounds like yeah the best thing he ever did was get his ass whipped outside of a bar in Toronto. was to go AWOL from the Navy and go to Toronto so without the Vietnam War there is no Rick James Absolutely theoretically not. yeah because he's not going to Toronto and runs into the hmm. fucking leave on helm so there is probably not a fucking you can't touch this MC Hammer hit without the Vietnam War exactly let's wow. rewind this big Love time that, man yeah. that's five for that one that's the butterfly effect right there right one night while crashing at Steven Stills house Rick gets totally plastered and wakes up on the floor. Across from him is a strange dude sitting cross-legged on the floor, and this young man was, quote, stoned as a motherfucker, and watching blood stream down his arm. Rick says the guy is saying stuff like, isn't the blood beautiful? Isn't it the deepest red you've ever seen? And oh, this, yeah. <laughs> and this understandably freaks Rick out. Yeah, just a little. There was one night in college where Mikey came down to party with me, and he slept in a dog bed. And I was on the couch across from him. So I imagine you waking up in the dog bed of this yeah. person's house and yeah. looking up at me. But I was just asleep on the couch. Not, yeah. Yeah. yeah this, this you is, didn't wake up to Mikey cutting his arms yeah. and the uh, nah. cutting his wrists in the dog bed. So, yeah. So Rick James freaked out. He goes and he wakes up uh, Stephen Stills, who is all, oh, shit, he's doing it again. And they both stand up and they run over to the guy, pick him up and bandage him. That weird dude was Jim Morrison. The Lizard King. Serious. Yeah. yeah so, that's how he met Jim Morrison. Yeah. So, And it sounds pretty on brand for Jim Morrison, to be honest, man. 
Anyway, things are looking good for Rick James then. He's hanging out with some talented folks, and he's got a band and a record contract with one of the biggest labels in history. Stevelin Wonder is giving him fucking naming tips. Jim Morrison is being a weirdo and bleeding on him and tricking him into taking acid because, yeah, that happened too. <laughs> it's a big deal. But remember, Rick is still a fugitive from the military during wartime, no less, and that isn't something that just goes away. You said the year was 1967 earlier, and I was like, hang on, he's got a record contract, but was, yet... This was like 66-ish, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's he's still AWOL. Totally AWOL when all this is happening. Is he still up in Canada while all this is going on? Mm-hmm. So he's partying with everybody up there in Canada. Yeah, but see, the thing is, is like, Rick is being real fucking cavalier about being AWOL, too. He's traveling back stateside sometimes for gigs. The whole thing happened with Jim Morrison in L.A., He's just back and forth, man. He's getting high and drunk regularly, and he's arguing with the Minor Birds handler, a guy named Morley Shellman, over money. And let me just pause here to appreciate what a strong Jewish name Morley Shellman is. You took the words out of my mouth. I was literally like, God, that guy is Jewish. It legit- and there's nothing wrong with that, no, right? No, but- I'm just saying it legitimately sounds like a made-up character from a movie about the rock music business of the 60s, like a Jewish manager and money guy. It's almost like lazy writing. <laughs> Anyway, the argument is apparently pretty intense, and lo and behold, Morley drops a dime on Rick and lets the military know just where Seaman James has been hiding out to avoid his naval duties. Oh, an asshole. Womp, 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 womp. Yeah, Morty. What was his name? Morley. Morley. Morley Shellman. Morty, Morley. Hey, man, he was going after his money. Dickhead. Yeah. So the Navy comes and they snag Rick's ass up and they send him over to Vietnam where he ends up serving on a patrol boat alongside a young John Kerry in the Mekong Delta. Really? No, I'm joking. Uh, he <laughs> went right. to- I was like, God, you take us down these weird little <laughs> potential rabbit holes. And I'm like, Jesus, really? No, no, no. He went to the brig. Five months hard labor. Uh, Motown hits pause on their relationship, thinking it's best to prevent bad press, and they stop releasing any of his material and tell him to come back whenever he gets out of military prison and leaves all that mess behind him. Now, a mere six weeks into his stay at the Brooklyn Naval Brig, Rick James escapes and spends another six months as a fugitive before being apprehended again and being sentenced to five years hard labor. Oh my gosh. But with the help of his mother and some folks that she rounded up, he manages to get a sentence reduced to, yep, five months hard labor. <laughs> like, Not a brilliant like, strategy there, right, right. It's like Clyde Barrow. He got the gun slipped to him by Bonnie, and he mm-hmm. escaped and got caught shortly thereafter, right? Yeah, and ends up doing the same exact time. He's just like, she's just done the five months. But and Clyde cut his own two fucking feet off, or, cl- or two, two, two toes. toes. Yeah. yeah. But whatever, in uh, August of 1967, Rick is released from Portsmouth uh, Naval Prison and is ready to conquer the music world. And true to their word, Motown lets him come back. But at that point, he's spending like a lot of time simply writing songs for other artists, names like the Miracles and the Spinners and so on. So big names. But the money wasn't all that great, maybe, because Rick decides to do a little moonlighting to make extra money. He meets up with Jimmy Ruffin, the brother of Temptations lead vocalist David Ruffin. Jimmy's like, hey, man, you want to get with me and make some easy money and rick's like cool man how's that jimmy tells him "Eh, we make our girlfriends sell their asses and we make a cut oh wow Hmm. james is like i'm in i've always wanted to be a pimp yeah i'm not sure what his girlfriend thought but i guess she wasn't afforded the luxury of an executive decision on selling her own ass oh wow Uh, we all know pimping ain't easy no it's also not classy or cool (laughs) or legal 
or legal. Yes. I mean, and I mean, you see a little bit of this at like in Almost Famous, where they're sitting there, kind of like trading the band aids between bands and stuff like that. But this is taking it to that whole next level. Oh, yeah. God damn. Well, imagine having a girlfriend and being like, hey, go fuck that dude for money. And then come back and fuck me. Gross. I can't. I just can't. Nah. I just can't do it, man. French kissing the prostitute. <sighs> yeah, because he's your girlfriend. You kiss. Ooh. But after a short while, Rick realizes that pimping isn't exactly the gig that he's cut out for. According to him, he, quote, lacked the hard-edged discipline and cold-blooded attitude. He didn't force women to work when they were tired. He loaned them money and he beat up violent Johns as necessary, but he just didn't feel great about forcing women to sell their ass and beating them when they didn't. Rick so, James pimp hand was not strong. It wasn't. Oh, uh, so he wasn't punching them with the unity ring. Unity. The unity. No, man. So, I mean, I guess since he couldn't go through fully with the pimping, we'll give Rick James half credit here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, pimping ain't easy. That's right. At the same time that he's discovering he's a mediocre pimp, he's also forming a new band called Salt and Peppa. Oh, wow. And he begins hanging out with a hairstylist named Jay Sebring. Sebring invites James out to a party one night, but James is like too hungover from the previous night to go, so he declines. That party was at a house on Cielo Drive. It was hosted by Sharon Tate. And it oh, ended, whoa, of the famous Sharon Tate murders? It ended horribly when Charles Manson's family decided to crash it and murder everyone in attendance, Sebring included. No now, shit, Rick James was invited to that party. That's what the word is. Now, for me, if you ever like read into what happened there, what was going on at Sharon Tate's house did not sound like a fucking party. It sounded like it was like some friends that were just hanging out and they managed to crash over there that one night. Yeah, because yeah, like, yeah. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Sharon Tate's husband, Roman Polanski, was out of town at the time. Yep. And so she had like the girl from the Folgers Fortune hanging there, J.C. Bring, and some other people, and they were like hanging out and like drinking and like just watching movies. But it wasn't like a huge party. It, yeah, wasn't, it was more like, a something... couple friends hanging out, more Correct. so than a bunch everybody coming over. Are you going over to the Tate's house? Or, you right. know, are you going over to Roman's house for the big party? Right. Exactly. It didn't sound like a party that where they were like inviting people. Like, not say Rick James. They were bad, part but... of that circle, though. There were a lot of big parties going on in that scene back then but it of that night it wasn't supposedly it wasn't i mean most definitely it could have happened this way i'm just saying like the way that he makes it sound is it like oh it was a banging party i was invited but i couldn't make it and then everybody got murdered there another just, like after the fact uh, yeah i mean i'm sure he knew jc bring i mean obviously he's hanging out with all these people like jim morrison and all these people. like him and jim morrison we're gonna go to disneyland and shit together <laughs> a true story and, i would love to see the pictures of that yeah yeah so it's but i just don't I feel like it's, again, just another like, uh, oh, hey, I knew J.C. Bring and then like maybe and then it turned into this whole I thing. got invited there once. Yeah, and, this, uh, so, yeah, I don't know if that if that whole thing is true or not, but maybe. I mean, yeah. it's not impossible. Anyways, uh, Rick spends a good time around here playing with other bands and he's trying to form his own like he did Salt and Pepper, but it wasn't really taken off. They he, weren't pushing it. They point? weren't pushing it. OK. <laughs> it, 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 as soon as I read Salt and Pepper, I was like. Man, that's you, know, <laughs> you know Randy's gonna have a oh, field Randy's day with gonna that. love. Yeah. <laughs> so funny story about Salt and Pepper and Push It, and I'm not to cut you off here, Mikey, sure. but uh, I love that goddamn song. And back in the oh early 2000s, I had a job and I went to lunch with a buddy, and um, we were in line at Burger King just getting some lunch on our lunch break, and my ringtone at that time was set to Push It. But this is like early cell phone days where yeah, it was sure. just like the digital, like analog version. Yeah. So we're standing in line with two other guys behind us. And all of a sudden my phone rings. It's like. That's a, 
fucking banger of yeah. a track. I, I wouldn't even it. be embarrassed about it. Like, Every, no, they all looked at me like this motherfucker, and I was like, <laughs> "Got to take this call." Yeah, it's yeah. important. I'm important. Big business, baby. <laughs> Rick spent some time also uh, like being the de facto coke dealer for George Clinton in Parliament Funkadelic. Uh, and it's around here that he begins thinking of going solo and eventually does, lucking out uh, with his connections and landing a deal with A&M Records and recording his first official single as Rick James, titled My Mama. He ended up signing with uh, Barry Gordy's under a label for A&M, like Gordy Records or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And, you know, he kind of like spins his wheels for a couple years or whatever. But then after a few years of establishing his sound and, uh, you know, kind of getting his things worked out, he finally buys his rocket ship ticket to stardom with his 1978 album, Come Get It. And this album, of course, included Mary Jane, which, to be perfectly honest, is a motherfucking banger, dude. God, it is. Seriously, you Man. have to be either dead or a Nazi to not crank this track when it comes on. The incredible intro, the bass, the space organ, that knockout hook, and of course the ham-fisted allusion to smoking weed, which makes every 16-year-old stoner giggle excitedly. <laughs> 10 out of 10, will jam again. Oh yeah, 100%. And you want to have sex with your partner at that time. It is. I Honestly, when I was writing this, I was kind of listening to Rick James stuff, and I found myself just listening to Mary Jane like eight times in a row. And playing it while you make love to your wife. Do you, do you, do you, do you, Mary I went Jane. I went through and watched a lot of the old videos and man, this guy like, uh, man, super freak and all that, like the videos for it, man. He's just like running around, like hollering at a bunch of girls. Dude, and he was actually really funny. Like it, it like it, it all felt very tongue in cheek. Like he was definitely about this shit. But it was also sort of just like having fun. fun. With the whole, he was yeah. a showman. And yeah. he like he was like, I'm going to fucking take it to the next level. Come with me, bitches. Mm -hmm. And man, those I mean, I love his videos. They're awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, after Come Get It comes out, Rick becomes massively famous almost overnight. He appears on American Bandstand so coked out that even Dick Clark was uncomfortable with the level of sniffling and warp speed conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and Rick was already a wild-ass dude without the money, so you can fucking bet that the insanity was about to get turned up to 11 when he started getting paid. How many times have you listened to an episode and thought, man... I wish they would have said this. Well, now with our interactive social media pages, you can. Let us know what you think about our show subjects and give us your scores. We'd love to hear from you. Well, most of you at least. Let's dive back into the action. Now, obviously nearly everyone is aware of how crazy Rick James could be thanks to the eternally funny Chappelle uh, show skit, Charlie Murphy's True Hollywood Stories, but there's like so, so much more to it god i love the true hollywood stories with oh, yeah. charlie murphy that's to me that was my favorite bits out of all the Chappelle show it is just fantastic yeah it's so great 100 percent. so for instance there was the time that steven tyler showed up in the studio to listen to uh rick james record as the story goes tyler tells him that he's incredibly impressed with the work and perhaps to ingratiate himself to the young up-and-comer he whips out a pillowcase sized bag of cocaine and a fucking bowie knife <laughs> Nice. Attaboy, Steve. <laughs> According to James, quote, he dipped it into blow and scooped up what looked like two grams. He tooted it up and then asked me if I wanted some. Hell yes, end quote. <laughs> and then there's his interactions with Prince. Now, Prince was the up-and-comer by the time that Rick James was the pop-funk juggernaut in the very late 70s and the very early 80s, and Rick brought him along on tour as an opening act for the Fire It Up tour. 
But almost immediately, Rick decided that he did not like Prince. Really? What? Was he intimidated by him? Watching his opening act, he felt that Prince was stealing his persona and his moves. Rick said, quote, Prince was emulating my mic moves like a motherfucker. He was calling out funk chants and he even flashing my funk sign, end quote. And what's more, he didn't like Prince's crew, the revolution. Did they play basketball against each other? No, they did not. <laughs> According to Rick, quote, my band was a bunch of friendly down-home brothers loved by everyone. His band was a bunch of snobs who never bothered to acknowledge my guys. So it wasn't long before James was thinking of how to fuck Prince. Not actually fuck Prince. I was about to say, hang on, time out. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, we'd all want to fuck Prince. Screw him over. Yes, yeah. to fuck with Prince, maybe. He did this three ways, right? He did a three-way with Prince? He, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Probably. The odds are. If yeah. I was, yeah, if I was if I was a betting man, I would put high odds. I am a betting man, yeah. and I would place money on that. What are the odds, you think, of Rick James and Prince having a- Three a, to one. MFM yeah. with Rick James and- And Prince. And Prince, yeah. And it might have been a three-way dude role. <laughs> I don't think I think Rick was straight as a gate, but maybe I don't. He was also getting coked out and shit. We're gonna get into a lot of his sexual uh, deviancies here uh, shortly. So yeah, uh, he did this three ways fucking with Prince. The first was, according to legend, he stole Prince's synthesizers while they were on tour, Ooh. and he <laughs> you don't steal another man's instruments and in, like his set, you know. Well, and worse, he used them to record his fucking mega album, Street Songs, the one with Super Freak and Give It to Me, Baby, oh. and then he returned them to Prince with a handwritten note saying thank you. Oh, that the, the level of disrespect. He's a habitual line stepper. Yeah. All right. Second, he produced, wrote, and recorded Eddie Murphy's hit, Party All the Time, saying, quote, there wasn't anything I'd rather have done than write a hit for Eddie and stick it in Prince's ear. And yeah. finally, Rick had Prince invited to his 32nd birthday party. Once Prince arrived and greeted the funk superstar, Rick responded by grabbing Prince by the back of his hair, forcing his head back and pouring cognac down Prince's throat until he gagged and ran off in tears. Nice. Oh, no, that's nice. not nice. That's a bitch move. <laughs> no, look. It's the opposite of a bitch move. It's a pimp move. It's a power move. It doesn't move. mean that it's a good thing. It is... Okay, he look, couldn't be a pimp, but so then he took it out on Prince because he was smaller than him, yeah, I bet. Let's, you let's, know. Un let's unpack this a little bit, boys. All right. He did not like Prince. He invites him to his party knowing he was going to fuck him over. Mm -hmm. So you can't really just like invite a dude and then beat his ass right mm -hmm. like that would have been too overt you invite him there <laughs> grab him by his fucking make him party till he fucking hates it that's right but, now i'm not I, but I, you snatch his head back and nah, dump cognac down like his that. throat no, fuck no that. it's, it's horrible it's not it's a, it's, look, a i'm not saying move, it's good man. but it's all right it is uh, like the definition of a power move, but all power moves are asshole moves anyway. That's <laughs> exactly what look, it is. Look, we may do a show on Prince. That guy wasn't a fucking angel either. Like, yeah, but still, to, to invite somebody over with the intention of like just straight up humiliating them, fucking rip. And he he went after Prince. Like, was he going after other people that were you know his size and like Charlie Murphy? Oh, yeah, true. Prince should have had the yeah. wherewithal to know I should probably go to this party. I'll be honest. Like I said, I'm not a fan of this move at all. But I'm a fan of Prince. Don't get me I'm wrong. I'm a huge fan of Prince. Um, yeah. But I'm not going to lie. The visual, as I was reading this, is so <laughs> fucking hilarious. I, I mean, yeah. I can, I, but I'd prefer to see it in a Chappelle skit than hear about it about real life. To your point, the visual of this with Rick James pulling Prince's hair back yeah. and dumping liquor down his throat. 
I like it's it. like an acid. It's like a straight up like fever dream. Yeah, there's just right. no way that's around right. it, dude. It's pretty fucking harsh, but whatever. But the thing is, though, as much as Rick James hated Prince, it wasn't enough to make Rick's own mama not be a Prince fan. And when she asked Prince for an autograph while in attendance at the American Music Awards in 1982, Prince was all like, "I'll pass." <laughs> but Dude, look, good on a, on a musical scale, Prince is probably top. Four or five oh, yeah, all time with, with the talent level. Oh, like totally. That dude was unbelievable. What did he play? 27 instruments no, or something yeah, like that? Uh, like, he's a fucking phenomenon. No, he's a legend. He's got dude. like 40 albums still that we haven't even heard. Like, yeah. it's, yeah. Also, I wouldn't want to hang out with him, though. I mean, maybe he's I weird. would, though. He's just weird. He's a fucking weird he's dude. Weird. He's, he's like a space alien, for real. Yeah. He landed in Roswell, <laughs> and that's what it was. It wasn't, that was the thing. It, they if told, you want to hear more about the Roswell incident, tune in to our Patreon episodes yeah. on Is Area 51 a cover-up? A home for, for Prince. That's right, yeah. A cover-up <laughs> for Prince in his home. It's true. He was in a hyperbaric chamber, and they are like, we need to make a funk legend. <laughs> Bring it out. But no, dude. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. Prince is all like, hell nah. He wouldn't sign his mom's autograph. And Rick actually had to be held back at this point from fighting the diminutive musician, <laughs> man. That's fair. Ultimately, nothing came of it. And James actually apologized to Prince for nearly becoming violent. But he would later lament this gentlemanly move, though, uh, and stating uh, that he was, quote, a little bit disappointed because I really did want to kick his ass. Uh, bitch. I don't know who I'd put my money on in that one. Oh, Rick James. Rick James. Prince is tiny, dude. Yeah, Prince is literally like five foot no, two. No, I, I know, yeah. I know, but I feel like Prince would be sneaky quick. He is great at basketball, which doesn't make sense for his size at all. Right. And I I just feel like his quickness might overtake if Rick wasn't coked up and like completely like wired up. Prince might sneak him in the beginning and get him into a vulnerable situation. It's come possible. at him like Spud Webb, and it's you know. possible though. But honestly, if like if if someone yoked me up by the back of my hair and poured cognac down my throat, I'm gonna fucking fist fight that motherfucker, dude. So yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna say that Prince probably was just like, nah, nah. I don't actually know how big Rick James is. Yeah, how big is Prince? Look that up. Prince <laughs> was five foot three. Yeah, he's tiny. Rick James was five foot eleven. Yeah, all right. Rick James is all my right. size. My my money my money's on Rick James. Honestly, yeah, like, like no, all right. I'm five foot eleven. I man, it's gonna take me knowing that a five foot three guy is like an MMA superstar before I would like hesitate. Yeah, and I mean, like he was like somewhere in the ballpark of like 170, 180. Yeah, Rick James is my size. Yeah, like, like, that's. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not saying I'm a badass, but I'll fight a five foot three person. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I'm seeing another article right now that said Prince was five foot two and 112 pounds. Yeah. Jesus Christ, I 5'11", was 180. I was 5'2", 112 pounds when I was about seven years old. <laughs> I, I wrestled 112 in high school. <laughs> Sally boy. Yeah, well, I was just tiny. <laughs> I was just a small guy. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Also, you know, aside from uh, him beating the shit out of Prince or whatever it was or pouring cognac down his throat and yada, yada, yada. Uh, during this time, Rick James also took full advantage of his stardom, money, and devil-may-care attitude to bed numerous women, which nobody should be surprised by. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Partied like a rock star. Yeah. This included Tina Marie, who ended up being like one of his protégés, which he also, I think he felt like, remember Prince would have protégés like Apollonia and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he felt that he sort of bit his game on that shit too, but whatever. Catherine Bach of the Dukes of Hazard fame. Oh, really? Wow. That's what they're saying. Not Daisy Dukes. Daisy Dukes. Wow. wow. The one and only. Supermodel Iman, who ended up marrying David Bowie. Marvin Gaye's wife, Jan Gaye, which is a pretty fuckboy move. That ain't cool, dude. 
and Grace Jones, amongst many others. He also allegedly hung out with Elizabeth Shue of Karate Kid fame. Really? Oh, uh, wow. wow. Now you're talking my game. I here. know. Apparently, he said that they would hang out and do cocaine all night on the beach and just talk about life. But this is questionable. I mean, nobody can really pin this down, but there's just been rumors about this. Now, there was also Charlie Murphy who said that Rick James would just be in the club and he would just pretty much walk up to any girl and just like lick her on the face yeah. and be like, I'm Rick James, bitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he was definitely bagging it up. He did verifiably have a fairly serious relationship with Linda Blair. You know, the chick from The Exorcist? Oh, really? The Blair Witch Project. No, no, that was, that was much later. <laughs> Different girl, okay. Yeah. Rick claimed that she was a super freak and that, quote, it's not just her head that swivels. Oh. Which I don't know, really know what that means. <laughs> is he saying that her- Her hips swivel She's too? a spinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah she's a, her hips swivel. She's yeah. a spinner. There you go, okay. And uh, you've got to have a, a pretty large Johnson to have a chick spin on your- There's no way Rick James wasn't packing heat. Yeah, in fact, uh, with Linda Blair, the the famous cold-blooded song, Cold-Blooded, was allegedly penned about her. Oh. And beyond the wild interactions with women and drugs, Rick James spent money like a fucking maniac. No surprise there, honestly. But according to an article I found, James loved to shop till he dropped, and he loved bringing his crew along to splurge with him. In the early 1980s, when he was at the height of his success, he would give them as much money as $80,000 in one day to go Holy nuts. Holy shit. Amongst uh, James' rumored purchases were dozens of pairs of cowboy boots, multiple Cartier watches for his many paramours, and a suit for every day of the year. Damn. That sounds like some MC Hammer type shit. Oh, yeah. I wonder if he was rolling around with Rick James and was like, that's where you got the, the playbook I was actually it. waiting for the dollar amount you were going to drop on that. Cause like He would give his folks up to two or $3,000 a day. You said eighty grand. Yeah. Jesus that's, insane. that's like back in the 70s and the 80s. So, yeah. I mean, that's like yeah. easily like over 100000 I mean, like $150,000 oh, yeah. in today's like, cash. Have fun, bro. Rip it up, man. He also would like let his entourage drive anything in his impressive car collection, which included multiple Mercedes, an Excalibur, and a vintage Rolls Royce. And you know they were fucked up, dude. When they all were doing the this, time. they were all yeah. all the time. Probably I'm talking like dudes that are on like three day benders, thanks to copious amounts of cocaine and booze. And he's just like, they're like, hey, Rick, you let me take the rolls out. And he's like, run it. Well, I ran it into the guardrail. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, don't worry about it. And Rick, being a crazy dude and a talented one with an odd sense of style, made him interesting to other famous people he interacted with. And this included none other than art virtuoso and legendary weirdo himself, Salvador Dali. Oh, really? This is from a great Rolling Stone article I found. Quote, James went to a dinner party in Hawaii where one of the other guests was Salvador Dali, who kept staring at him and finally said, Senor, I am mad about the way you look. Please allow me to sketch you. (laughs) (laughs) just like in titanic he was like rose all spread out (laughs) like one of your french girls dolly spent 15 or 20 minutes drawing a portrait of james on a napkin and then gave james the napkin it would have been like a priceless memento except the next morning james woke up smoked a joint and went for a swim in the shorts he had been wearing the night before forgetting that it still held the napkin the portrait became an inky blob Oh. Could you imagine the value on that napkin? It's a dolly, even as an inky blob. A dolly original of Rick James. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ, you're talking oh. 100 grand, 
million. I don't know. Honestly, it's it's crazy though because like one of our friends' dads was pretty well off. He had a couple of Picassos that were sketches, and they were worth a lot. They were about fifteen twenty thousand dollars, but they were just sketches. Yeah, so yeah, the same sure. Thing. So it, it wasn't a finished piece or anything. Still, like but that. it's a it's like for Rick James, it's whatever you know. What I'm saying so. Anyways, another celebrity who had an odd interaction with the king of punk funk was uh, none other than Alfonso Ribera, a.k.a. Carlton, Carlton from the Fresh <laughs> Prince of Bel-Air. And this is maybe my favorite story for just how fucking weird it is, okay? Imagine a day sometime around 1987 at Mike Tyson's mansion. Alfonso Ribera and Ricky Schroeder are hanging out and drinking beers there. <laughs> Because, remember, at this time, they're both stars of Silver Spoons. Anyway, as the story goes, according to Mike Tyson's memoir, Undisputed Truth, quote, Rick came over and slapped Tyson five, and then he looked at Alfonso. He asked Ribera, aren't you an actor? And then, boom, he hit him. James then grabbed Ribera's beer and drank it. Iron Mike is like, whoa, what the hell, Rick? Keep hitting children. <laughs> So, yeah, that happened. Rick James pimp slapped the teenage Carlton Banks at Mike Tyson's house, took his beer, and cranked that shit. That's so fucking next level. So, so Ricky <laughs> Schroeder, first of all, Silver Spoons was one of my jams. Of course. Back in the day. I fucking love Silver Spoons. For that group of folks to be hanging out, Ricky Schroeder, Alfonso Ribeiro, Rick James, and fucking Mike Tyson... Man, God, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that shit. You know, all the parties like back then at Mike Tyson's place at the Playboy Mansion, you like seen Mike, all sorts of different people that would hang you ever out. You see together. Mike Tyson's mansion? Which one? The one in New Jersey. Yeah, that ended up getting like abandoned. Uh, no, Fifty Cent bought it. Okay, okay. Yeah. And then he had one that was abandoned. And there was somebody that went in there and took a bunch of pictures, and it was so eighties it hurt. Uh, it was like, damn, you got like well, a like at, black marble fucking bathroom sets and stuff like that. But well, look at Michael Jordan's house. You know, yeah, like yeah. he's trying to sell that thing, and I mean, it screams the eighties. But Mike Tyson's mansion up there was it was it was fucking dope. And Fifty Cent, if you ever watched the MTV Cribs of Fifty Cent when he's flying in on the helicopter, and he's like, I can't believe that's my house, y'all. That was Mike Tyson's old house. Oh, yeah, Fifty oh. Cent bought it. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah, and. There you go. I mean, he slapped he slapped Carlton and then and, and cracked his beer. I'm gonna let everybody sit there and just marinate on that shit for a second. It's the it's my favorite story. So it's uh, okay. Now I've got a new question. How tall is Carlton Banks? He's got to be five six, I think. I'm guessing. Let's look it up. And keep in mind that uh, Alfonso Ribeiro now hosts America's Funniest Home Videos. He does, which is a perfect fit for him. Absolutely. And Bob Saget for years was the. The fucking epitome of America's Funniest Home Videos. Now, it's Carlton, right? And yep, he does yeah. a good job with it. He does a great job with it. And so, yeah, uh, I looked it up. Alfonso is five foot six. Oh, nailed it. Fuck yeah. Yeah, nailed it, Mikey. But it seems like he has a penchant for going after people who are smaller than him. Sure. That he can just kind of like make look like a bitch. Uh, I, yeah. I don't I mean, like just, just He's randomly, a bully. Randomly, He's a bully. I agree. Randomly slapping some dude out of nowhere. You and actor bow and slapping him and then cranking his beer. I mean, it's just incredibly disrespectful, especially because remember, Rick at this point is probably like 40 years old. He just slapped a 16 year old kid in his face, <laughs> took his beer uh, but honestly, uh, it's funny though, but I did feel like that Carlton had that five foot six energy for some reason. <laughs> Spot on, my yeah. is true. Spot on. So of course we have to talk about MC Hammer sampling Super Freak for his monster hit, You Can't Touch This. Of course. Uh, we, we talked a, a bit about it on the entry or, or on the intro or whatever, 
But yeah, it's true. I mean, I remember like my dad, I was just like, and he was like, that's a Rick James song. And I was like, dude, you're so full of shit. Who the like, fuck is Rick way. James? I was like, shut up, old I man. I literally at that point had, and also it's weird because my dad is the whitest man alive. And I was like, when were you listening to Rick James? You know what I'm saying? I was like, were you smoking weed in some platform fucking shoes? And like, yes, was banging out <laughs> yes I was. I didn't even believe my dad. And I mean, he was in the music business. So, I mean, yeah. 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 Well, apparently MC Hammer didn't ask for permission to borrow the musical hook from Super Freak. And this understandably pissed off Rick James. As Rick would put it in an interview, quote, I wasn't impressed with that shit. He was super pissed. Yeah. Super pissed. He's <laughs> super done. pissed. That's right. But being the level-headed pragmatist that we all expect, Rick quickly realized that the money that eventually came in from the music credit was enough to bury the hatchet with old Hammer. As he put it, quote, you can't touch this made me a shitload of money. So basically, Rick James rolled up on uh, MC Hammer and hung him over the edge of the balcony, just like um, Suge Knight got his royalties. No, he never even... In fact, <laughs> what actually happened was even though Rick later admitted that he never would have let MC Hammer sample the music if he had known about it, at a Hammer concert later, Rick actually joined him on stage and took a rich-ass victory lap that didn't end until a pretty serious party and mishap later that night. From that same Rolling Stone article, quote, James thought it would feel good to smoke rocks. As described by his... Of course. That's, that's, that's what I need to do. That's what I do when I need to feel good. It's the obvious next step. It is. As described by his drug supplier, Race Newman, things went awry when James set a plate ablaze in an attempt to burn smokable crack pipe residues. While walking with the flaming plate, he dropped it and his robe caught on fire. The flames raced up his robe, spreading to his sleeves. Newman extinguished them with a bedspread and James, still smoldering picked up the plate as if nothing had happened and took it into his room. Oh my gosh, that's like some Richard Pryor shit right there, man. Yeah. Like, Boys, I wear a robe to this day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, robes are under... Smoke, do you smoke rock in your robe, though? No, I have coffee in my robes. <laughs> that's what I do in my robe is I have coffee, but robes are underestimated. I, I love I love Randy takes a, a dude burning himself up with crack cocaine to explain how much he also loves robes. I do. I, I do. I, I'm actually picturing a Folgers commercial where Randy's in his robe, but it's like the best part of waking, waking up is crack rocking <laughs> your cup. It's, no, it's I, I, firing I, 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 up your butt. No, I. It, it's a, a weekend thing I have. I get up, I fucking take a shower, and I put my robe on. I go make coffee, and I sit and gamble. I play online. <laughs> I sit and play online poker until my family wakes up. Excellent. It's usually how my weekends start off. It's That's uh, good. So Rick James lit himself on fire with crack rocks, and Randy <laughs> loves to wear a robe and play poker. That's right. Almost the same thing. It's similar. It's very similar. So yeah, at this point, Rick James sounds like a wild and crazy dude. Maybe someone fun enough to hang out with for a night if just to observe the whirlwind of insanity that surrounded him wherever he went. I mean, banging the exorcist chick buying Rolls Royces for fun, slapping Carlton, accidentally destroying dollies, and waterboarding Prince with Hennessy is fairly amusing. <laughs> but honestly, Rick James was a bad dude, especially at this point in his life. When his mother dies around this time, Rick James, a bit like Kanye West, goes off the deep end. He himself admitted as much later on, saying, quote, there was nothing to keep me from descending into the lowest depths of hell. That meant orgies. That meant sadomasochism. That eventually meant bestiality. Whoa, time yeah. the fuck out. Whoa. Yeah, he never went into detail on the bestiality part, and honestly, I'm kind of thankful Thank for God. that. Thank God, yeah. That I didn't have to spend too much time 
researching that shit. Well, your Google profile is going to get pretty fucked up if you're like Rick James bestiality search. Incognito mode. You might be interested in. (laughs) That's right. But anyways, uh, this is where it gets really dark because it's around this time that Rick James picks up a new hobby and it's not golf or RC cars or cooking or cross stitch or stamp collecting or kidnapping and sexual assault. No, wait, no, wait, wait. I'm sorry. It is those last two things. It's kidnapping and sexual assault. Oh no. In 1991, James and his then girlfriend, Tanya Hijazi, whom he later married, were arrested for tying up a female guest at their home, burning her roughly 20 times with the crack pipe, uh, burning her with a heated butcher knife and forcing her to take drugs and do things she didn't want to do. From a contemporaneous L.A. Times article that I found, quote, James threatened the victim with a gun, telling her that he would kill her if she tried to leave. And he and Hijazi tied the woman up and severely burned her about 20 times with the hot end of a crack cocaine pipe, officer said. That night, James forced the victim to orally copulate Hijazi while he watched, police said. Officer said that throughout the ordeal, James and Hijazi smoked crack cocaine and intermittently forced the victim to smoke it, too. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, it went from fun to... Uh, yeah. I, like, I'm trying to make a funny joke out of that, but no. No. Forcing someone to smoke crack and get burned by a crack pipe and be essentially sexually assaulted. Oh, 100%. Not yeah. even essentially. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Literally. Assaulted. Yeah. Yeah. While out on bail in 1992, James and Hajazi reportedly imprisoned music exec Mary Salger, I think that's how you pronounce it, who had known James for six years. Salger said the couple slapped and choked her repeatedly over the course of 20 hours. So, yeah, it's it's not great. No, that's not a good look, Rick. James and Hajazi stood trial for both crimes in 1993. In court, the singer described spiraling into a deep depression and trying to numb the heartache with narcotics. But and he choking. Also, yes. But he also insisted, quote, I abuse drugs, not women. Hajazi pleaded guilty to assault and served 15 months. James was narrowly acquitted in the first case, but convicted of imprisoning and assaulting Mary Salger, as well as selling drugs. He received a five-year sentence but had it reduced due to prosecutorial misconduct. While serving his five-year sentence at Folsom Prison, James lost a civil suit to Salger, who was awarded nearly $2 million in damages in 1994. Damn, so he got five years and a $2 million settlement? He kidnapped a person and beat their ass and forced them to smoke crack and shit. Jesus Christ. Yeah, but he didn't make his famous Folsom Prison album while he was there, just like uh, Johnny Cash. I don't know how you can make a funk album with an acoustic guitar, but I'd love to see it. <laughs> I heard the train are coming. <laughs> James, I heard the prince are coming. <laughs> James was released from prison on August 21st, 1996, after serving more than two years. Yeah, two years for all that shit. But yeah. anyways, whatever. In 1998, James was accused of sexually assaulting a 26-year-old woman, but the charges were later dropped. Things are quiet for James there for the next six years. The only immediate attention he can draw is in, uh, like, where are they at now articles and shows. And then, on February 11th, 2004, Charlie Murphy tells a number of stories of his wild interactions with Rick James in the early 80s, corroborated, sometimes unintentionally, by Rick James himself. (laughs) And all these stories are brilliantly reenacted by him 
and with Dave Chappelle playing Rick. Oh, Unity. Fantastic. Those are my favorite skits. Dude, it is arguably the funniest 10 minutes of television I've ever seen in my life. Like, honestly, I remember when it aired and I was like at one of the lowest points in my life, like legitimately depressed. And I still couldn't help but like laugh until I cried. When he karate kicks Rick James into the mirror, I, re <laughs> I, I remember sincerely like falling off of the couch and trying to catch my breath because I was laughing so hard. Yeah, and then they get into it. He's like, I'm sorry, Charlie Murphy. I'm yeah. sorry, Charlie Murphy. I, I overstepped. Yes. And he's like, and I think my lungs are bleeding yeah. right now. He's ah, ah, and it showed like the multiple, multiple it shows the ring imprint yeah. of unity you on Charlie team. Murphy's head, the unity ring. That shit is fucking legendary. Uh, Every second of that skit is nonstop amazing. But for some reason, the one that caught me was when he karate kicked him into the mirror. And he was like, ah, ah. No. It was so obvious he was on like uh, like wires and shit. <laughs> no, I love it when uh, him and uh, with Charlie Murphy and Eddie Murphy beat him for the couch scene. Yeah, yeah. And they just, they just beat up his legs. His yeah, legs. He has to yeah. crawl he out of his there. His legs look like Linguini. <laughs> I'm telling you, everybody has their favorite part of that shit. It's so, it's just, it doesn't get better than that. I honestly think it's the 10 best minutes in television I've ever seen. My favorite part of it is like, it cuts back over to Rick James and he's like, what do you think I am? Like some kind of just like somebody who doesn't know what he's doing and mm -hmm. I don't know how to act when I go places. No, I didn't put my feet all over Charlie Murphy's couch. Yeah, I remember putting my yeah. feet all over Charlie Murphy's couch. <laughs> they were like, they're like, rewind it. Yeah. It's incredible. It's just like, man, and for real, R.I.P. Charlie Murphy because that shit was great. And oh. it's amazing too that the other story was Prince. Yeah, and like it's yeah. too bad you couldn't versus the blouses yeah. and like, oh, dude. God. But yeah, it spawns the phrase, "I'm Rick James, bitch." That's right. <laughs> it's legendary and deservedly so. It also spawns the cocaine's a hell of a drug. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. Yeah, absolutely. It has such a huge effect that some poor small town Mississippi politician by the unfortunate name of Rick James had all of his yard signs graffiti to say, vote Rick James, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Did he which, win? Which, honestly, I'd probably be happy about, but apparently he was not. <laughs> the, politician, the politician said, quote, I've had older ladies come up to me all agitated because the signs out in their lawn have been defaced with the B word. James said, I've told them, no, it's okay. You don't understand. This is from a comedy show. I love this. Yeah. I love that. Do we know if he actually won? No, he did not win. Oh. Yeah. It's funny though, because he actually, uh, I was reading deeper into the article and um, he was just like, you know, honestly, it helps out with some name recognition. And then when people called in, because this is like 2004 or whatever. Sure. People called into his campaign. Super freak was what <laughs> he answered. So he wasn't like super unhappy. Apparently his constituents, potential constituents, were the ones that were unhappy. Oh, but he was rolling with it. Yeah. Anyways, suddenly people care about Rick James again. There were even rumors of a biopic, perhaps with Chappelle as the lead character there. Shut up and take my money. I would I watch know. the hell out of that. But ultimately, nothing came of it. And honestly, it's a bit of a shame because the dude's life is super interesting. But at the end of the day, you can't kidnap people, assault them, and burn them with crack pipes and think people will forget about that shit. Yeah, right? Just six months after the Chappelle Show skit puts him back on the map, Rick James is found dead by his caretaker in his Toluca Hills apartment. He had died from pulmonary and cardiac failure. And though... He was also found to be chock full of drugs, Xanax, hydrocodone, diazepam, methamphetamine, and cocaine, amongst others. It was determined that there were no direct correlations to his death with the drugs in that moment, which 
honestly makes me feel a lot better about going on future deep drug benders. <laughs> so I'm just saying I mean, it's it, it's it'll show up in your system after a while, right? But not in the exact moment. Uh, hey, cocaine goes away pretty quick. He was doing cocaine like yeah, like maybe three days, every, right? Yeah, three yeah, days, I think. Yeah. Right. yeah, or so I've heard. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why I would ever check that out. So, anyways, there you go. That's Rick James, fellas. Wow, Let's wow. go ahead and get uh, final scores. It, I even forgot he was dead. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. died yeah. six months after that skit aired. God. Oh, well, shit. at least that was a good six months then for He him. did. Great Actually, they were months. talking about one night when he came into a thing because now everybody was like, oh, shit, that's Rick James. And uh, he was up on stage or something like that, and somebody didn't know who he was. And he was like, I don't care if you don't know who I am. He goes, I'm Rick James, bitch. And like <laughs> nice. the place erupted. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Nice. So there you go, man. There's Rick James, the Forrest Gump of funk music. Like, and we talked about Courtney Love being the Forrest Gump. This is beyond that. He was I hanging know. out with like Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Jim Morrison, Stevie Wonder. He's the Canadian Forrest Gump. Well, he's from Buffalo. But he's from Buffalo. Right. Yeah. But I mean, that's where he, yeah. Same thing. <laughs> Shit, you look at a map. True. Same thing. Toronto, t- Toronto says Greenbow, Alabama. It ain't Toronto. That far. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. What we got, guys? Uh, what do you got over there, Randy? All right, so, man, a lot of the shit you shared at the end, I did not know about. So you think of the, the average rock star, right? The party lifestyle, the fucking craziness, all the people they may have uh, maybe done wrong throughout the way. The fucking sexual assault and fucking burning the crack yeah, pipe. Real, yeah. Jesus, man. That's why, honestly, you may never see a biopic about Rick James because it's, it's real tough to get past that. Like, Ray Charles and shit, like, he did some fucked up shit, and he cheated on his wife, and he did tons of heroin, but he never kidnapped somebody and, like, burned them with crack pipes. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. So, I gotta take into consideration, does he have a body on him? I don't think so. I would say the answer is no, but we usually scale folks at an 8.0 if you have... A murder, a murder rap, right? Yeah, somewhere in that 7.0 I'm putting this motherfucker at a 7.99. Okay. Because he is about as close as killing a motherfucker as you could. Yeah. And fucking over, I mean, just assault, like, all the things you talked about. Jesus, dude. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. I didn't see that coming. The whole fucking crack pipe burning and yeah. going to prison. I didn't know that. That yeah. was... I well, learned, and even, I learned something today. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's it, he didn't kill somebody, but... He's, he's, not a good, he's not a good guy. Yeah, he's no. not a good guy by no, any stretch of the imagination. And he's dead, so we can talk all the shit we want. So yeah. there's that. All right, it's, buddy, a sh- you... it's a shred fest. It is a shred fest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, what you got, buddy? All right. Yeah. So for me, um, yeah, it is a little bit shocking some of the stuff that we've uncovered here today. Mm-hmm. You know, I expected him to have that rock and roll lifestyle and be, you know, kind of like wild and crazy, but you know, I didn't expect it to take the twists and turns that it did. And, you know, you kind of look at the stuff that he kind of scaled up to, you know, I mean, in the beginning, he was a pimp for a little while, but just didn't have the heart to really, you know, fully commit. But I mean, he tried to go pimp down with the heart of gold <laughs> yeah, I say, and the heart to commit. I like he that. Said, I yeah. can slap her like once, but really my like, pimp hand is not that strong, <laughs> even though I'm five foot 11, 180. Yeah. He's like the strong. idea of forcing them to sell their bodies sounds good on paper. But when the physical action comes into play. And he's robbing cars back then at 13, yeah. um, you know, so. It's kind of cool. <laughs> Not at all, Randy. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so, but then, I mean, as he starts to get older, he starts to get a little bit more famous and stuff like that. He's just basically a bully a lot of the times, 100%. you know. He uh, he hit Carlton. 
Fuck that. Carlton. 16 year old kid. Yeah. Like, it ain't even about and Carlton stole Banks. his beer, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Ricky, even Mike Tyson was like, whoa, dude. It's fucked up. <laughs> I'm just really glad he didn't hit Ricky Schroeder because Ricky Schroeder was one of my faves. Yeah. And, but I mean, like, yeah, when Mike Tyson's saying that's fucked up, hey, that's hey, fucked hey, up. Hey, yeah. Hey, no, hey, that's fucked up. That's it's fucked up. Well, yeah. also, hold on. 87 Mike Tyson. Exactly. That's even heightened. Because now Mike Tyson's actually a super chill dude. Mike Tyson was like, I had to go pet my pigeons just to calm down after all that shit. (laughs) So, yeah, no, like, and then the whole story with him and Prince and him basically waterboarding Prince with (laughs) cognac. Like, what the fuck? Like, this is bullshit. And, um, yeah, and then he just escalates. It's like every, it's like as he gets older, shit just keeps on escalating and escalating. Uh, he got into the, um, forcing drugs on people like fuck that like i don't i I don't get into any of that we would loosely coerce people or in our days back in the day go ahead hit the hit the joint yeah we were the bad we were the bad kids in the after school special exactly chicken (laughs) smoke that joint that's right no it was honestly smoke this joint yeah honestly everybody wanted to to but it wasn't like hit this fucking crack pipe and fucking fuck this dude exactly like (laughs) kidnap and kidnapping and shit like that you know rough Sexual assault, like burning and the people. bestiality, which I don't even know what yeah, happened there. Yeah. yeah, we're not even getting into that shit. Yeah, like yeah, no, uh, fuck him. I mean, like great musician, but talent does not excuse you being a fucking asshole you and being a douche. And so you know that's the name of the show, Asshole Court. And this guy, you know, for as talented as he is, he's that much of an asshole. Um, so at the end of the day, I'm also gonna bump him up. Um, I'm gonna bump him up to a seven point eight. Two. 7.82 for Buddy. Mikey, and, what do you uh, got? Yep. It's your final score. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you guys voiced a lot of uh, the things I feel anyways. So, you know, it, it's crazy because his lifestyle is so completely nuts that it's, even though it's real shitty. Aside that, now, let me go ahead and just like silo off the kidnap and smoking crack shit. But like the whole idea of slapping Carlton or like waterboarding prince with <laughs> with cognac is not cool but it's so completely outrageous that you can't help but just be uh entertained in an odd way by it Shock i'm very awe. entertained actually uh, I, yeah. i'm shocked and in awe yeah exactly it's so fucking crazy uh, but i honestly uh, he's not a good guy he's a busy he, he was a bad guy uh, even the story with Charlie Murphy, you're like, man, this guy's a dick but it's also hilarious well no but it's hilarious in the way that it's presented yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, but I imagine mean, imagine being that—that that being your couch. Well, of course, <laughs> yeah. of course. But I'm saying because because it's so outrageous that you're just like this. This isn't happening. This can't. This ha- okay. You it know, is happening. like I wish that it just stuck to that stuff. Like if it if it was just right, just uh, dirty him, shoes like, on the couch. You know, cool. And like he even talked about it in the show. He was like, they were like, why did you do that? He was like fuck Eddie Murphy he could buy it he's rich enough he could buy a new couch yeah yeah you know what I mean like all right not a good dude that's a a fucking funny thing to do right there you know what I mean like oh but like why'd you kidnap this chick and burn her with a crack pipe she had more she had more skin on her body yeah like like I said I'm siloing that off to explain that everything else though as bad as it is is sort of hilarious even though it's I, I hate anybody that does that type of shit it's just so outrageous but then you have to like unsilo the kidnapping and the rape and burning people with crack pipes and and, and 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 all that. So I actually love Randy's assessment because it's it's, it's totally proper. Usually we're hitting about an eight, I think, for murder, yep. and he's yep. just a fucking hair short of that. Yeah. So I also am going to go with a seven point nine nine. All right. You know what I'm going to do, boys? 
I'm going to change my score oh, just to go. make it easy. Here we go. And yeah, I'm going to go with the 7.992. Yeah, I like where it's at. Where he's at. kissing murder on the lips. Like oh, okay. right before it. You yeah. know what? He's a habitual line stepper and he is stepping on that line. I'm surprised that he didn't cross He might have killed the prostitute. That's the yeah. thing. I'm surprised somebody didn't but die on the way. That. That's right. So we could only go on what we know. All right. Well, with a 7.99 from Randy, a 7.99 from Mikey. And a 7.99 from Buddy. Rick James' final asshole score? 7.99. Awesome. All right. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Asshole Court. As always, let us know what you think about our shows on all of our social media pages. Give us a shout out. Let us know what you think. Check us out on Patreon. Guys, we have an all-new show called Conspiracy Court. We dive into the same great shit we talk about on Asshole Court on all the some of the non-believable and very believable conspiracies throughout life. Area um, 51, the moon landing. All of it. Is Stevie Wonder blind? That's right. All this good shit. Did Rick James murder a prostitute? <laughs> <laughs> Check us out at patreon.com slash podcast. It's really good shit. Become a member. Get it on the swag club. We're mailing stickers out every month. They're, they're fucking badass. You're going to want to put it on your car to represent. Yeah, or your you, laptop, you know, in case of any of your DJ events. Yeah, yeah. yeah I want to give a shout out to, to our girl Christy on all this, man. Absolutely. Legend. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. We hope you guys are doing well. Be kind to one another, and we'll see you next time on Asshole Court. <laughs>